and uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, that would be the passage in the Bible. And I would just keep encouraging all of us, bring your Bible to church. I know there's one here in front of you in the back of that pew. If you don't have yours, you can open that. But tell you what, there's nothing better than having your own Bible that you can mark up, that you can highlight, that you can put notes in. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Before we get started in our last sermon in the Crowned series, let me um, make a bit of another plug for next week. There's a reason that we are kicking off our summer all together at Lopat Park. And the series that we're about to launch next week is called Love Like Jesus. And in an increasingly divisive world I've never seen in my life, a more divided country. I've never seen, honestly, a more divided church, as in capital C church, the big church, church all over. I've never seen it this divided. And there are groups and groups and groups, and they are within the church that are so vicious toward other people. I've never seen anything like this. And unfortunately, the church is mirroring to some degree the world where we ought to be the ones driving the culture. We ought to be the ones being salt and light, bringing the kingdom of God to bear, that Jesus and his rule and reign would be more visible on earth through the church. That ought to be what's happening, and it doesn't seem in many places at least to be happening. So this summer, we're going to be learning the entire summer how to love like Jesus. And we're kicking that off next week while all of our five congregations come together. This is an absolutely ideal time for you to bring a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, one of your children's parents. Just invite. I mean, what could they say? They could say no. But invite them. And the reason really isn't that Cornerstone Church become a mega church. You know there's no desire in us to become a mega church. In fact, when we get large enough, we're just going to keep multiplying churches. The future of Cornerstone doesn't look like a mega church. It looks like a powerfully influential, effective church that's going into different areas in our geography with the hope of Jesus Christ. So we want more people coming. We would really, really, really love, we are praying for unsaved people to get saved and come into Cornerstone to be taught and grow up in Jesus. That's our hope. That's not gonna happen through me or the elders or the pastors alone. That's only going to happen when all of us begin courageously sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to encourage you to come next week. Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, there's going to be a pig roast, classic car show, motorcycle blessing, games for children, adults. I mean, there's going to be so many things to do. But it's really for a purpose, that we would learn how to love like Jesus. So come next week, if you would, and bring some people with you so we can learn it together. Here we are, the final sermon in the crown series, the fifth sermon. We're going to be looking at the fifth crown that the Bible shows us. And I want to take you back for a moment to what we learned in week one. And in week one, I'm actually going to fill it out a little bit more. Those athletes who won events in the Greek Olympics, they would receive a braided wreath called a stephanos in the Greek, 
It was made of wild olive trees. And then those in what were called the Pythian games, those who won those games, they received the wreath, a crown made out of laurel leaves. And then in the Nemean games in that era were crowns made of parsley that were given to the victors. And then in the Isthmian games, those played in the city of Corinth, the ones who won the events received crowns made of pine branches. And while we would think there's not much value in these botanical crowns, the reality was that for those athletes in that time, there was literally no greater honor than they could ever receive. But those crowns faded away. They turned dry, they turned brittle. And when the athlete died, those crowns were no longer any good personally to them. Now, Christian, that's what separates the Stephanos that you can receive, that you can win from those that the world can receive because your crowns are unfading. Your crowns will not rust. Your crowns will have just as much honor and glory one billion years into eternity as they do the day that they are given to you. And they will be given to all faithful followers of Jesus. But let me show you the award ceremony. Let me take you into the future and show you the day of the award ceremony. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we get a bit of a peek into this great day. And notice it will be a capital D day. 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul says, starting in verse 10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. You're going to see what that foundation is in a moment. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's your foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest and will be revealed. For the day, capital D, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So the quality of the work will be revealed. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is the day of the award ceremony of every Christian. And what Paul is saying is this, God gave Paul grace. Here, the word grace means a little bit differently than God's unearned, unmerited favor. It means the divine enablement, the spiritual gift, the power. God gave that to Paul to lay the foundation of the church on the gospel. Here's how it's laid on Christ. It's laid, it's built 
on the foundation that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, lived sinlessly throughout his whole life. He died on that cross as the spotless Lamb of God. He is the atonement for the forgiveness of sins for all who will believe in him. And in his resurrection, the power of God is unleashed in the hearts of the faithful. That's the foundation of the church. And every Christian, that would be you and I, if you are a Christian, we are building on that foundation. Now, let me give you a warning, and then I'll read to you this, the verse on the screen. Here's your warning. Right now, it is all the rage in the capital C church. That's the church over all the country, over all the world. It's all the rage. It's super popular to, to deconstruct to tear down the, the building called the church and to rebuild it in a new way. Now, some people will insist, some deconstructionists, that they are not tearing out the foundation of Christ, but yet many of them really and truly are. They've come up with a better way to build the church. They've come up with a better way to be the church. If anyone builds on a different foundation, they are no longer building on the gospel. You do not want to be part of that church. We are all building on that, for we are his workmanship. We're God's work team. We are his construction firm. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, even before he created the world. God prepared, Christian, your good works. He already boundaried out the life he wanted for you to live, the purposes that he had for you. He already created that before he created the world beforehand, that we should walk in them. So every Christian is a builder, and we all build with some material, but God wants us to build with the best materials and the best materials well he he defined them are good works well we cannot be saved by good works nobody can be saved by doing enough good works but this is equally as true we are saved to do good works so you're not saved by your good works but you are saved for doing good works and there is coming the day when the fire will test every work that you and I do it is the day of Jesus and his evaluation over our works and those that we did the works that we did to build on the foundation of Jesus they are gold and silver and precious stone they will come into eternity with you they will be your reward but those that you did to build your own reputation, to build your own comfort, to build your own glory. You built it with wood, hay, and stubble, and that's going to burn. That will go away, and you will not bring any of that into eternity. Now, it's one thing to explain that. It's another thing to illustrate that. So let me give you two illustrations, and maybe that can help you understand this a little bit better. Let's say that God has given to you the spiritual gift of encouragement. The spiritual gift of encouragement. 
That means, Romans 12, he's given you a measure of grace. What it means, a measure of grace, he's given you a measure of that gift, which is the divine ability to encourage people into spiritual maturity. He's given it to you, he measured it out. He gave exactly the extent of that gift that you're gonna need to do everything he's gonna ask you to do. God is absolutely brilliant with this. He never, ever measures incorrectly. So he's given to you the divine enablement to encourage others. Well, lots of people in the world are encouraging. What separates you, divinely enabled to encourage, from somebody who's not a believer that likes to encourage naturally? Well, here's what you can do. You have the power of God to take people who do not deserve your encouragement who cannot even have hope, who cannot see that there could be a brighter day ahead. You've taken people who don't deserve it, can't believe it, and you've been able to pour your life into it in a sustaining way that will actually move their eyes of faith to open. Nobody with natural, worldly encouragement can open up the eyes of faith. But you can, because you've been given that gift. But you haven't been using it. It's lying dormant. And though God gave it to you to enable you to do the works that he purposed for you before he even created the world, you've chosen in your faithlessness to not use it. You've used it for your own benefit, but not for the benefit of the kingdom of God. You will go, and on that day in the future, that will burn like wood, hay, and stubble. But there's a better way to live. Let me give you the illustration number two. God has given you, maybe, the means to make money. It's like you got the Midas touch. You just know how to make money. But he's given you the gift, the measure of grace of generosity, which is different than the world. The world, on average, gives 3% of all that they have to charity. The Christian, at a baseline, is called to give 10%. Biblically, it was 23%. The New Testament, it's 100% of what you have belongs to the Lord. And that has captured your heart and set you free from the love of money. And God keeps blessing you. He's given you the gift of generosity. That will mean that you will take what God gives you and your hand will be open and you will be giving it to people who are in need. Now this might be a little controversial. Denise and I made a decision in our marriage. We are gonna give generously, but we're gonna only give generously to kingdom of God entities. People, missionaries, or organizations, they're gonna build the kingdom of God. We don't give beyond that. And I believe that's what biblical generosity ought to do. That means those who are poor, we give with the message that there is hope for them. That means ministries and missionaries that are needing support, we give with the message that we believe in what they're doing and we wanna be a partner with them. We give to kingdom of God 
entities and people. Wherever you give, that's your decision. That's what we do. But listen, if you've got the enablement from God to be generous, you will never outgive God. You will give it away, God will give it back. You will give it away, God will give it back. You cannot outgive God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And one day on that day, capital D day, you will be examined. Books will be open, and Jesus Christ himself will examine every check you wrote, every gift you gave. And what will emerge when you gave to the glory of God will be gold, silver, and precious stones. And you will have rewards that you will carry into eternity. More on that later because you'll want to know what you're going to do with them. But Jesus will evaluate our works on that day. And though all believers, listen very carefully, all believers will be given heaven. There are some, maybe many, who will have lost their rewards. And losing along with their rewards will be the means to extravagantly honor Jesus. So Christian, do not let... Revelation 3, 10 and 11 be true of you. Do not let your crown be seized. Do not let your rewards potentially be burned. Be faithful. And if you are, some of you are going to receive our final crown from the hands of Jesus, the crown of glory. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read First chapter, First Peter chapter 5. We're going to read the first four verses. This is our text where we will find this crown. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's our crown. Okay, you may be seated, and let's unpack this, because this crown, as its namesake, is glorious. First Peter, well, that's a letter that Peter wrote. And he wrote it to mostly Gentile Christians who were scattered by the persecution of the Roman Emperor Nero. And a lot of them have been scattered over around what is now called the country of Turkey. It's about 750,000 square mile area. It's from Texas to California. This is where he wrote this letter to. These are the people that he wrote this letter to. And they had found one another, these scattered Christians, and they had grouped up together into these churches. They had all these local churches scattered all around this, this turkey sized, or rather, I guess, this uh, country, this, which is modern-day Turkey. And then Peter begins to install elders. Now, elders in the Bible are different from the elderly, or at least the meaning is different from the elderly. You can have elderly elders, and you can have younger elders. But elders is a position. It's a position of spiritual authority. And we're going to be introduced to them, and Paul, or Peter rather, is going to tell us how you can evaluate the elders of your own church here at Cornerstone. More on that later. Look what he says. I exhort 
the elders among you. That word exhort is parakaleo in the Greek. That means to call alongside. He's calling alongside the elders, saying, elders, you need to hear this. You need to listen to what I'm going to tell you, elders. You are men who have been given spiritual authority. In verse 2, you are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, I've given you one controversial thing when I talked about how Denise and I express our generosity. I'm going to give you another controversial thing. I'm, I'm unfortunately at risk of having a Bud Light moment here. So I want you to answer. I want you to listen very, very carefully, please. Our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, and our church is complementarian in our practice, which is different than egalitarian. In complementarianism, the only people that can be elders are qualified, anointed, and appointed men. The only person that you will see preaching the word of God to men and women will be called and anointed men. In an egalitarian church, women have access to the elder position, women have access to the preaching. If you want to know why we believe that, believe me, I would love to have a conversation with you because this right now is starting to really be one of those many, many conflicts that the capital C church is experiencing. And there are biblical reasons for it, and I would love the opportunity to share them with you. So if you want to find out more about this, at some point I'm going to preach through this so that you can see it from the scripture yourself, but I would love to talk to you. But what I want you to know for now is that the elders that Peter is writing to are men, and they are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. But what on earth does the word shepherd mean? It's an umbrella term. It's not really that helpful in and of itself. It means this. It's a person who, number one, guides, and then guards and feeds and keeps his flock safe. Remember those four words, guides, guards, feeds, and keeps his flock safe. Now, the Latin word for pastor comes from the very word shepherd. So every elder is a pastor who is entrusted by God to shepherd, and you do that by guiding, guarding, feeding, and keeping your church safe. But then Peter does a brilliant thing, actually a little bit scary thing for those of us who are elders. He gives you an evaluative grid in order to put us elders through. Every pastor's an elder, every elder's a pastor, and we are all together shepherds of the church. And you now are gonna be given the ability to evaluate us. Here's how you could do it, and here's your grid. Shepherd the flock, verse 2, of God that is among you, exercising oversight, that's what we do, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, that's your way of evaluating every elder of our church, all through the Bible. God refers to his people as sheep. I'm a sheep, you're a sheep. And sheep are naturally wandering creatures. They cannot live, they cannot survive without a shepherd. 
So I'm gonna show you, I made a little movie. I'm gonna show you exactly what we do as elders in this church. Watch this. Okay, so I didn't make that movie, but I did find that movie, and I don't know if I could have made a movie any better than that. That is exactly what we do as elders of a church because that is exactly what you and I do as sheep. We get out of one ditch, we get out of one sin, and we jump back into another one. We do more of that, rescuing sheep, encouraging sheep, pulling sheep out of trouble, praying for sheep than anything else as an elder but I'm gonna show you how you can evaluate us. Number one, elders are to oversee the church willingly, diligently, not lazily. Listen, if you have an, el I'll tell you what an, a lazy elder looks like. A lazy elder comes to all the meetings and just gives us wisdom from down on high and consults, but then doesn't really do anything with the sheep, doesn't do anything with the people in the church. That's a lazy elder. And we don't want those elders on our board. We want elders that are actually with the sheep. The sheep know their voice. So they are to serve the church willingly, motivated from within, not forced by others into the position. I've actually tried to talk previous elders back onto the elder board and almost never does it work, but when it has worked, it's been a disaster. They need to want to be on the elder board because they've got a motivation that the Spirit of God is putting in their hearts. But I want you to notice how Peter says this, shepherd the flock of God. See, the flock belongs to God. The church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to Tim Ackley. It doesn't belong to the elders. This is not my church. This is not the elders' church. This is God's church. And our mindset must be that we are shepherding, we are guiding, we are feeding, we are caring and protecting God's flock, the redeemed who belong to him. Secondly, he says they should not serve from a motivation for shameful gain. Now, back in the old days, back in the New Testament days, teachers were actually fairly wealthy. If you can gain a position of teacher, you almost guaranteed a position of wealth, which is why James cautions in the epistle of James, let not many of you become teachers because your motivation is to have a life of ease. So no elder, no pastor should ever go into the ministry, should never come onto the elder board to try to gain wealth, to try to gain a life of ease, but it means more than that, shameful gain does. It means we shouldn't become an elder because we like the prestige, we like the fame, we like the notoriety, we like the attention. Now let me, let me tell you what I battle against. Look what you're doing right now. I get it, I don't blame you a bit. But look what you're doing right now, you're staring, you're staring at me. You do that week after week. I'm up on this unfortunately elevated platform and you're listening to all my words. Do you know what that does or potentially can do in the heart of a preacher and the heart of an elder? 
week after week after week after week. You know, George Whitfield, one of my heroes, he preached and really touched off with Jonathan Edwards' a Great Awakening. George Whitfield, he would, he would do these outdoor evangelistic crusades. They would put them up on these barrels and put planks over them, and he would stand there and he would preach. He had a voice that could go even a mile without electronic amplification. He had a deep, powerful voice. He got done preaching an incredible sermon where hundreds and hundreds of people came to put their faith in Jesus. He comes down off that platform over those barrels. He comes down onto the ground, and the first person that greeted him said to him, Mr. Whitfield, you were amazing. Now, this is quoted, his response. He said, I know. The devil already told me that. Do you realize, friends, what I do every time one of you, I need to learn to do this all the time, whenever any of you might come up and say or send me an email, Pastor, that I felt like I was the only person in the room. I hear that a lot. I felt like that was just a message I needed to hear every time. I know. The devil wants me to actually believe that and think that it was me and not the Spirit of God. Listen, friends, I am on the same level ground as you. I am not on some spiritual echelon that you can only hope one day to get there. I am right down with you. I struggle with sin. I struggle to stay humble. I struggle to love people. I struggle not to be irritable. I struggle my own struggles like you have your own struggles. I am in constant need of God's grace. There cannot be shameful gain in my heart. You can pray for your elders that there wouldn't. Third, Peter tells elders to be motivated to serve, not control. Look what he says, not domineering over. We developed here at Cornerstone what's called an elder in training and a deacon in training program. It's a six-week rigorous program. Right now, you can get onto our website. There is an elder, there is a man, uh, two men that we are nominating to the congregation for our annual meeting. One of them to come on to the elder board, the other to come on to our deacon board. They have both gone through this training. And the purpose of the training is to identify where their spiritual gifts are, identify where they're going to be helpful in leading this church, and identifying, very importantly, if they are humble teachable, and faithful. You know what it looks like to be humble? Biblically, it means to lie low to the ground. You know what humble people do? They lift up everybody else around them, and they demand none of the recognition for themselves. Do you know what teachable people do? They're constantly learning. They're constantly crying out to God, give me more wisdom. I need more insights. Do you know what faithful people do? They are faithful in little, and Jesus says he will entrust them with much. If you're not humble because you're not lying low to the ground, and you're not teachable because you're working off of stale bread, knowledge that you gained a decade ago, but you're not getting any new knowledge, and if you're not 
faithful with a little, you'll never be given much. You cannot come on board this governance body. This is how anybody who is gonna get on our board is gonna come through that EIT, DIT, elder in training, deacon in training. You go to the website and you're gonna meet both of these gentlemen and you're gonna see a write-up on the results of their process of that training and I would encourage you to do that. Peter tells us to be motivated to serve, not domineer over. Number four, elders are to be examples to the flock. Examples to the flock. Because we ourselves are sheep. We jump into the ditch. Jesus gets us out. We find our way back to sin. We struggle as well. We all come together under our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, someone might say, well, I want to be an elder of a church then if I could get this crown. If I could get the crown of glory, I want to be an elder of the church. Well, let me teach you something very, very quickly. And it applies to every crown and it applies to every reward. You will waste your time. If your love for the crown and love for the reward is greater than your love for Jesus. Listen, Jesus is your greatest reward. Jesus is what your heart longs after. And if you want the crown more than you want the Christ, you're not going to get it. Do you have a love for Jesus greater than a love for the reward? In fact, all gold, silver, and precious stone deeds are those done from a love for Jesus and his bride, his church. And that applies equally to past elders of other churches, current elders, future elders. If you love Jesus and shepherd his church well, willingly with great care, not for shameful gain, but with eagerness and with humility, look what Peter says, verse 4, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He doesn't even say you might. He says you will. But I want to give you some good news because a lot of you, most of you, are never going to be an elder. And if you're a lady, because I just expelled, I expelled out the complementarian position of our church, some of you ladies might be thinking, well, great, that's one crown I'll never be able to get. Let me tell you, you are going to have access to this crown, and I'm going to explain it to you. There are more shepherds in this church than just elders. And you too can serve Jesus and his bride faithfully and receive this crown. You know what I do every wedding that I perform? I have to do this all the time. I'll just give you an example. I could talk about the groomsmen, but let me talk about the bridesmaids. If you've ever been selected to be a bridesmaid or you've ever selected ladies to be bridesmaids, they are more important than almost ever they know. For they have been chosen. Listen, I want you to hear this. They have been chosen to make the bride ready for her day of her wedding. That's the function, historically, the purpose for a bridesmaid, not just to be beautiful, not just to be in that gown, not just to be part of the wedding party and into the photos, not because they're just a really close friend. Listen, when you select your bridesmaids, you are selecting the women that you are trusting who will make you ready even the months before by encouraging you, but certainly on the day of your wedding. That's the task of a bridesmaid. And it's the task of everyone who is shepherding anybody 
and God's kingdom. You shepherding a group of women, I hope you yearn for this crown. You shepherding kids, teens, and children, I hope you yearn for this crown. You shepherding a group of men or elderly, I hope you yearn for this crown. And if you are a community group leader, let me tell you, the elders of this church have entrusted shepherding to you. You know that, right? We're entrusting shepherding to you, that you will shepherd well the group that belongs in your group, the people that belong in your group. Because here's what happens in every community group. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is real spiritual life on life. So community group leaders, I can't tell you enough, you are doing such an important work in serving Christ in our church. And I hope more of you want to become community group leaders. Why? Because you want to gain this crown? No, you won't gain it. If that's your number one motive, it's because you love Jesus and his church. Now, let me ask you a question before I finish out this sermon. I want you to really think, what does God love on earth more than anything else. I'm gonna answer it for you. It's the church. It's his blood-bought possession. It's his inheritance. It's the apple of his eye, the Old Testament says. It is his bride. Nothing does, love God, does God love more on this earth than the church? So let me now ask a question. Do you love the church like God loves the church? And if you do, then you are beginning to get what I'm about to show you. You want to be a good shepherd, here's what you're going to need. Now, everybody listen, because this is absolutely required if you're going to be a good shepherd. Proverbs 4, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the power of God. To help you stop having a split personality Christian life. Here's a split personality Christian life. Here's what I know about God to be true, but I'm not really living it out. You are spiritually bipolar. You are spiritually schizophrenic at that point. If you want wisdom, wisdom is the power of God to bring two halves together so that what you believe is how you live. That's the purpose of wisdom. So get it. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize wisdom highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you. Now listen. A beautiful crown. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I don't see the crown of glory here. That's because I haven't told you yet that the word beautiful in the Hebrew language is the word that gives us glory. Here is in the Old Testament the crown of glory. And there's a nod to this crown. And the key to gaining it is wisdom. If you want the crown of glory as you shepherd people, then gain wisdom. And let me tell you, parents, how you can gain this crown. Because you're shepherding as well. You're shepherding your own sheep that live around you all the time. 
And your job as you shepherd is train up your child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. What that means is train up, direct your child to the mouth of the way of wisdom that will lead to life. You have no power to get those children on that path. You cannot get them saved, but you can keep showing them, here's how you get saved. Here's what wisdom looks like. Here's it demonstrated in our lives. And as they grow and as they begin to want Wander off that path of wisdom that leads to life. The only other path available is the path of folly that leads to death. And they start walking towards that death. Now your shepherding is encouragement. Now your shepherd is your shepherding's exhortation. Now it's bold warning. Now it's pleading prayerfully. Get back to the path, the way of wisdom that leads to life. You're shepherding. And if you shepherd well in the grace that God has given to you by his wisdom, you can look forward to receiving the unfading crown of glory. And when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4 in our text, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That crown will never fade. It will never be tarnished. It will never lose its luster because it's made of glory. And I haven't even told you what glory means. Here's what it means. It means to think or recognize, or more simply, to have a favorable opinion, to be well thought of, to have high recognition. In other words, to be given the crown of glory is in part to receive God's favor for a life well lived and lifting him up, caring for his people, guiding those people to him in peace. But let me tell you the other part of this. You know what the crown of glory really is? It's your eternal shout and declaration. I loved Jesus and I loved his church and I gave my life to shepherd her. That's the crown of glory. And the recipients of this crown, those who receive it, will be an eternally shining beacon to God's great glory, whose grace enabled these faithful shepherds to serve well. Now let me end by taking you into the future one more time. To the very day, capital D, when every Christian will have their books opened, which have captured all of their works, all of their words, and each one of them and all of them will be tested by fire. They will be evaluated by Jesus himself, and the extent of your heavenly rewards is about to be determined. You're saved. You put your faith in Jesus. His blood forgave you of your sins. Your salvation is not in doubt. It's your rewards that are being determined and should you have been a lazy Christian who thought very little of God's word you couldn't get you in it you didn't meditate on this day and night you were not like a tree planted by streams of water your leaf was not always in season you weren't bearing the fruit of God all year long you were lazy and you were irresponsible Oh, you will be saved through Jesus. You will go to heaven with joy, but you will go to heaven with empty hands. 
For you will have nothing to lay at the feet of him who gave everything to you to bring you eternal life. But if you served your God faithfully in the grace and power that he supplied and shepherded his people with a love for God and a love for his church and your motives were for God's glory, not your own. And you sought wisdom at every opportunity so that what you believed was how you lived. Something is gonna happen on that day that you will never forget. Jesus himself will stand up. He will walk off that throne. He will have a dazzling crown in his hand. It's a crown made up of his own glory. He will walk down to you and with joy in his eyes, he will place it on your head and he will say these words to you that are recorded in the book of Matthew. Well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, if the grace of God unleashes in you, Christian, and you in that power bring your bodies under control, you tame your desires, you will receive the imperishable crown. And if the grace of God is in you and you love Jesus more than you love even your own life and you are faithful to him even to the point of death, should it be asked of you, you will receive the crown of life. And Christian, if you faithfully share with unbelievers the only way they can be saved, the good news of what Jesus has done and the cross and the empty grave, you will receive the crown of rejoicing and believe Believers, if you keep your eyes to the skies waiting for Christ's return and it pushes worldliness out of your heart and you pursue him with single-minded abandon, you will receive the crown of righteousness. And if you shepherd God's church because you love God and you love his church and you seek wisdom to do it well, you will receive the crown of glory. And I want to end with this. These are not all of the rewards that God has. He is such a generous God. But whatever rewards you are given, when the living creatures begin to sing all through eternity, it will be yet another time. You could not wait for the living creatures to start singing again. Because along with the 24 elders, which I think are all the redeemed in heaven, you are gonna take whatever rewards and crowns you have, and you're gonna once again take them off of your head, out of your pockets, and you're gonna put them down at the feet of Jesus in glad surrender and admission that everything, all renown, all thankfulness, all gratitude, all credit belongs to the one on the throne. And once again, you're going to declare it in unending praise. That will be eternity. But you cannot go into heaven empty. Do not be a faithless Christian. Let the grace of God bind you to serve him and love him. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the promise of these crowns. They are given to us, Lord, as incentives, as motivations. Lord, motivations to love you and to love your church and to be faithful. And may we be and do just that. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.